this is Jason, and welcome to Stand By for Paradise. I didn't know that an abandoned hotel sitting at the end of a long, lonely road could feel anything but ominous. But this was my first time in Chile, and things were different here. We looked up at the autumn sun, arcing the wrong way across the cloudless sky, heading north rather than swinging around to the south, as we're accustomed to in North America. Something about this remote location seemed strangely welcoming, even though there was no one waiting to welcome us. In fact, there was almost no one around at all. The Torres del Paine sits at the bottom of the world and seems all out of proportion in every way. The fantasy-sized cliffs seem too big for this earth. On the drive-in, we had seen enormous waist-high birds sitting on the low rocks, staring down the huanacos that eyed our passing car. The days here are either too short or too long, depending on when you visit. Your trip might feature tent-flattening winds or the most perfect weather in the history of the world. Despite being known globally as one of the major hikes one should do in one's life, there is almost no one around for miles. We only stood for a few minutes looking up at the cliffs above the Hotel Las Torres. Looking at the hotel is all we could do as well, since it was locked up tight for the winter. The harshness of the seasons and the startlingly short summer lent an extra air of protection and comfort to the buildings when you could get inside them. Here in Patagonia, being inside felt safer than in other places on the globe, though outside didn't seem dangerous exactly, just elemental. Next to us in the gravel parking lot lay mountainous backpacks filled with everything we would need for a week's walk into the uncompromising and empty wilderness that lay sprawling all around us. It seemed impossible to believe that this massive collection of mountains, visible from over a hundred kilometers away, could feel small, but the presence of any solid thing could not compete with the vast emptiness of the plains falling away behind us. As far as you could see, the rolling land was filled only with low, dry grass, the occasional lake, and the pale autumn sun. Hiking in the Torres del Paine is simultaneously the most benign walk in the woods you can do, and one of the more challenging things I have ever attempted. Though long and at times rough, the trail is well marked, the nightly stops preset, and the packing list is easy. Bring everything you own. All four of us were laden to the very limit of our bulging packs and unsteady legs. Despite everyone bringing the tiniest, most packable versions of each and every piece of gear, somehow we were still laden like pack animals. Time itself made no sense in the Torres. The sun comes up sideways that far south, but then somehow seemed to stand still all day before suddenly rushing down again earlier than expected. Periodically, our plotting would be interrupted by the sudden, surprising clattering of horses approaching over the stones. The men on these horses, with revolvers and whips poking out from under their puffy Patagonia jackets, would come dashing out of the bushes and out of another century, only to nod once and trot off easily over a ridgeline that seemed as far away as the future itself given our plotting snail's pace. 
in the wilderness, there can be a certain mix of relief and annoyance when other hikers come into view. The sudden reminder that you are still part of the human race can be welcome in lonely moments, but the magical spell of stillness would be shattered by inevitable conversation. On the second day, we happen upon a group of German college kids going the other direction. After a few awkward moments of everyone trying their non-existent Spanish on each other, we all realized English was better for all and had a laugh at our poor attempts at the local lingo. We had been hiking all morning, inching our way down from the high valley that held the towers which gave their name to this entire park. We felt for the Germans when they asked how much further, and we had to tell them another four hours lay ahead of them. Their shoulders, already drooping under the weight of their packs, fell a little further. Certain of the answer, we asked how much further remained to our destination where they had started out that morning. I knew in my gut it was only an hour or two at most away, but wanted to hear it out loud. The Germans looked at each other and grinned. Four hours, they laughed. Everyone groaned with mock misery. It was hard to suffer genuinely, though. Anytime you stopped to catch your breath, the views of peaks towering 8,000 feet above you would wash away all the pain your tired body could generate. Evening would come early, hurrying you along as you boiled water for a meager feast of freeze-dried stroganoff. For as stunning as the views were from the trail, I have never seen darker, more beautiful night skies than those in Patagonia. The wildness of a place is not only held in the land or in the water, but also in the sky. Though the miles and the darkness beckoned us to retire early to our sleeping bags, I could not resist a few more tired steps away from camp each night to sit silently, frost piling up on my clothes, gazing at stars you can only see when there isn't a streetlight for 50 miles. Soon enough, I would finally stumble back to camp. Our two hiking companions had brought a tent for four, so in the evenings my wife and I would drag our sleeping bags over and all pile into their tent, a sea of brightly colored nylon and goose down, and the fog of our breath hanging in the damp, cold air. We would sit up talking and laughing by the light of one small lantern or a candle. On the second night, our conversation was interrupted by a low rumble that sounded like thunder, but could be felt through the ground as much as heard in the air. It was the first time in my life I had heard, or rather felt, avalanches. Five days of solitude and jaw-dropping vistas culminated in the hike to Lago Grey. Sitting at the overlook in the waning afternoon sun, we stole every moment we could before the nagging voice to run back to camp at Pine Grande needed to finally be obeyed. Looking north into the sun, the water below us was like glass. The horizon was a terrifying, enticing mass of ice and barren rock towering over the toe of the glacier. The glacier itself towered above the tiny red dot of a tourist boat showing off the ice to a load of passengers that had come into the other end of the park on buses. Just when we had to finally obey the feeling it was time to run back to camp before the day ended, a huge column of ice thundered lazily down off the glacier and into the water, 
sending up a shower of spray into the silent air. An impossibly long wait ensued before the sound reached us. The air was so clear and still, and the scale of the landscape so huge, we hadn't registered that the glacier was over a mile away. We sat stunned for several minutes, held in the golden haze of one of the last hospitable evenings of the year. It was our final night in the park, and there was one last tiny gift these jagged, imposing mountains had to give us. Minutes after the ice had fallen, I heard a sound I had never heard before and haven't forgotten since. It was like chimes, but lighter, something Tolkien would have ascribed to his elves. It took us a moment to realize what we were hearing. After nearly 10 minutes of traveling across the water, the wave from the calving iceberg crossed through the bay below us. As it did, the wave broke up a crust of ice so delicate and clear we hadn't even seen it. The plates of ice tapped gently against each other to make music for the forest and for us, the last few people left in the empty south of the world on the doorstep of winter. It felt as though the entire continent was clearing out. Each night the camp hosts looked antsy, and every morning they were too distracted to do more than shoo us away. They were shutting down the park that week, and we were among the last campers of the season. Every day we left sites that would sit empty through the dark fury of the coming winter. The boat back to our bus that took us back to the other bus that eventually took us back to the car was filled with the last of the young seasonal workers from all over the globe, joyous and laughing and alive with a cresting energy of camaraderie that would soon be scattered like sparks across the world. Back in Puerto Natales, as one of the last dark autumn nights of April began to take hold, I looked over at my wife. She was lying in a pool of light spilling out of the hip-looking woven grass lampshade in our hotel room at the Spacio Cao Patagonia. She had been in so much pain this trip, but had fought through it bravely and resolutely. She was not going to let a nightmare she couldn't see stop her from hiking into a barren wilderness so beautiful it had to be a dream. This was 2016, and we were only then beginning to understand the pain she was in. If I had known how torturous it was to strap a pack belt tightly across her waist, I never would have agreed to the trip. We didn't really know what was happening then, so we kept walking, though. Life would soon challenge us both to step further into a different kind of wilderness and ask us each carefully if we were willing to keep walking into the unknown or let pain close our eyes to the rugged, beautiful path of life. For the moment, after a week of exhaustion, she was sleeping soundly. Hers was the joyous rest of the exhausted backpacker, showered and adrift in a sea of clean sheets at last. Perhaps the most blissful kind of sleep there is. I sat on the other side of the room next to our enormous bags, taking it all in for a moment. Tomorrow, in the dark hours of the morning, we would start the long journey back over the great belly of the world. So far north it seemed impossible to imagine, our lives were waiting for us. Only here, and only for a moment, did it seem we had finally gotten far enough away that life back home would never find us if we just gave up and stayed. 
The night had now taken hold of the world outside completely. Blue darkness seemed to be cascading down from the high windows, not to smother, but to embrace everything outside that little circle of yellow light over the bed and her face at peace on the pillow. Here at the bottom of the world, my memories would catch like the first tuft of clothing snagged on a thorn. As time and miles would take us further from Patagonia, a part of me would be held here to begin the unraveling in earnest. Here, the sharp moment of beauty would remain, tugging my heart back to one of the last happy hours before this season of life gave way at last to an unexpected winter in which we would become lost to one another forever. That would come later, though. Checking the alarm one last time, I turned out the lights and slid into bed to lose myself for a few hours in that sea of smooth white sheets. This is Stand By for Paradise, a little show made by me, Jason Fleming. You can read the full text of each episode, as well as see pictures from these stories at standbyforparadise.com. If you like the show, please share it with someone. If you love the show, you can support it on Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.